Good morning, church. For those who don't know me, my name is Carl, and I'm your scripture reader for today. It is really a blessing for me to stand before you to read the word of God. <clears throat> the amazing love of God transformed outsiders into insiders through the work of Jesus Christ. This morning, we see how the forgiveness of Jesus forms a new family of faith who hear and obey God's word. The amazing love of God offers the spirit of God to those who have faith in the work of God through Jesus to become children of God, insiders in the family of God. Please join me in reading the word of God as we continue to worship this morning. Luke 8, verses 19 through 21. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he, and he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. And my greetings to those that you've already heard and want to encourage you to please keep your Bibles out. Uh, we're going to be looking in this short passage, but also in the surrounding context and throughout the Gospel of Luke. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, you know, we'll give you one if you ask for it, or you can use your phone, uh, whatever. We're just glad you're here, and we want to uh, worship the Lord by getting in his word together. I'm excited about it. Uh, last week, we uh, continued our series in the amazing love of God, looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and, and uh, focusing on forgiveness, the, the woman who came out from outside of Simon's house, a woman uh, from the city uh, who came into this Pharisee's house and experienced the love of God, the forgiveness of God uh, in the way that Jesus sent her off saying, you are forgiven, go in peace, this shalom of restoration. Uh, and it's very appropriate for us to follow that up and looking at how forgiveness redefines reality, but particularly in regards to family. So we're going to unpack what is the, who is the family of Jesus today. And we're going to do it by looking at some insider, outsider stuff. And it's easy for us to remember times when uh, we felt like outsiders before, isn't it? Uh, we were talking about it in Sunday school class and I had this flashback I hadn't thought about in years. Maybe you can identify with this. I might have a little PTSD uh, this morning. It's because this memory just came in my mind. I was in elementary school and I loved the band U2. Any U2 fans here? Oh yeah, U2? All right. See that? See how I did that? Oh, dad jokes are everywhere. You're welcome. They're free of charge. All right. So uh, my friends, my close friends, like dudes that I would have called brothers at the time, all had tickets to the U2 Octong Baby Tour. And they were all talking about how they were going at lunch, and I wasn't going. And I remember feeling like an outsider, and it only got worse because the next day at lunch, they were talking about how great the concert was. And can you believe we got to sell our extra ticket? And I was like, <gasps> extra ticket? 
oh, yeah, that hurts. Yeah, so you understand. I might still be a little bitter at those guys. <laughs> but look, we are living more and more in a world where people are feeling on the outside. And the church is called to be a people that celebrate the love and the work of Jesus in such a way uh, that we celebrate and define our relationships through the reality of being on the inside of, of God's family. And more and more, our culture is even asking the church to reclaim this mantle that God has given us. I was reminded of this reality in a study, a post-pandemic study that Harvard University did um, on, uh, on loneliness. Here are two of the findings and then a quote. Uh, they say, uh, the researchers say, in a recent national survey of American adults, 36% of respondents reported, se reported serious loneliness, feeling lonely frequently or, quote, all the time or all the time. In the four weeks prior to the survey, this included 61% of young people aged 18 to 25 and 51% of mothers with young children. Very appropriate. Second thing that I thought was really important for us to glean from this study, 43% of young adults reported increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. Now, this is a post-pandemic study. They've gone back uh, in their questions pre, uh, uh, since the pandemic started. About half of lonely young adults in our survey reported that no one in the past few weeks had, quote, listen to this, taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they're doing in a way that made them feel like the person, quote, genuinely cared. And here's what's really interesting. In the uh, findings of this survey, uh, they're releasing their research. They included a quote from, uh, from something called Loneliness in America. And listen to this quote. We need to return to the idea that was central at our founding and is at the heart of many great religious traditions. We have commitments to ourselves, but we also have vital commitments to one another, including to those who are vulnerable. And I found it interesting that not only are, are the hearts of people in, that you know, maybe many people in here, crying out uh, for a cure, for hope in the midst of loneliness, but also our culture, Harvard University, no one's ever accused them, or at least in the past 150 years, of being like overly religious, and they're crying out for our historic religious institutions, the church, to reclaim this sense of family. Now, uh, old Mitchell would have probably, at this time, pulled out all the ingredients and put together a shame sandwich and served it to you nicely. It, it, my shame sandwiches usually come out like this. So if you want community, you just got to try harder, right? Uh, I would say things like this. You know, I put relationships in, in, in terms that are, uh, what's it called when you give something uh, and then you want something in return? What's that called? None of those words are right. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, transactional. Yeah, reciprocal, quid pro quo, you're all right. Uh, well, most of you. <laughs> but that's not the gospel. The gospel isn't. This isn't some sort of club where you pay your dues and you get involved and you, you find friends, right? What is central to the church and what is central to uh, Christian family, it's not your self-resolve. 
It's Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. And when we focus on him and, and, and what he's done for us, when we allow his love to really saturate our hearts, we realize it over and above transactional relationships is something transcendent that invites us into intimacy because it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can transform outsiders to insider and offer a sense of family to people who feel forgotten. You know, last week's commission to the outsider woman, you're forgiven. Go in shalom. Go in this social restoration that Jesus gives. It's Jesus in the gospel that's the starting point. And it will always be what cures loneliness. And it creates community because Jesus alone breaks down barriers that ignite our sense of isolation. We must stop dealing with our deepest issues, especially those that are relational, with our own sense of self-resolve. And here's why. If you look at other people to cure your loneliness, you're not loving them, you're using them. So you feel better about yourself. And the gospel frees us to be filled with the love of God, to know the security we have in God's covenant love so we don't see people to use, but we see people to share God's love with, to serve, and we discover a new abundant life in giving ourselves away. Only Jesus can ignite this in our heart. And as we study this, I hope that you discover the richness of what the Puritans used to say about Christian community. That we form a family where the blood of the cross is actually thicker than the water of the womb. So let's pray together before we unpack the, the word of the Lord together. Lord, uh, we thank you that you're a God that can identify with us in our loneliness but you provide a way for us to be filled to hope through your love and your work. We ask now that your Holy Spirit would use your word to touch our hearts. We long to know you more, to be transformed by your word and your work so that we could reclaim who you've created us to be. Lord Jesus, son of David, we have mercy. We pray in your name. All God's people said, amen. So here's the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus transforms outsiders to insiders. And he does this uh, using the language, the situation with his family. Verse 19, then his mother, that's Jesus's mother, and his brothers came out to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. Jesus was inside teaching and preaching. And his disciples said, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, it's kind of an awkward answer. And having raised teenagers, I know what Mary's other kids were saying. Why'd you have to ask him? He's always so awkward, you know. <laughs> and he gives this redefinition of family. And it's no accident that his family is described as being outside. And when Jesus makes the distinction between those who are his spiritual family and those who are not, he's speaking about those who are inside. And the crowds of people that have packed the house will themselves also be distinguished by the description of family. 
Those who hear the word and obey the word. These are my mother and my brothers and my sister. Those who hear and those who obey. Now, the house that they're in, we have to, we have to understand two things. We're going to look at the Luke in context, uh, the whole gospel. But first, we're going to look at this context of chapter 8. Oh, actually, this whole section. This section focuses on hearing and obeying. And all the teaching of Jesus, all the situations of Jesus, have been built upon the end of Luke's version of Sermon on the Mount. In Luke chapter 6, look at this. This is where Jesus lands the plane, uh, so to speak, with uh, the end of his sermon. He says, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, hears and obeys, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man that built on a house who dug, a, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose, a stream broke out against that house and he could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them, does not obey, is like a person who builds his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. So from this point, they have been highlighting in the Gospel of Luke the teaching and the work of Jesus about hearing and obeying. You're familiar with chapter 8, whether you know it or not. It begins with Jesus in the, in the, in the parable of the sower. And he talks about blessed are those who have ears and they hear. And he talks about four different soils. And the fourth soil is a soil that has nothing to compete with hearing and obeying. No rocks, no path, no thorns, no weeds. And the seed that is sown, the word of God, bears fruit. And so Jesus is building on that in chapter 8. And as we follow after this uh, story of Jesus and his uh, mom and bro brothers trying to get in, the, the, him declaring that those who hear and obey are his family. You, you follow his work. And you know what happens? A storm actually comes. He's with his disciples. And he speaks his word. And what happens? The deluge obeys. And then you keep following his ministry. And he comes across someone that's a demoniac that has demons in his life. Not only the deluge obeys, but he commands the demons to get out of the man and the demons hear and obey. And then you keep going and you see him two amazing miracles. The first is an older woman who's sick. The disease hears and obeys. And then Jairus's daughter who is dead, even in her death, death hears and obeys Jesus. And it puts this narrative emphasis on the words that define family for Jesus. Those who don't just hear the word, but they obey the word. Not as an entrance into the family God, but a sign that they are children of God and belong to God because they hear the word of God and by the spirit of God are transformed more into the image of God, celebrating that they are the family of God. You see? It is the seed of the word that brings life in our hearts. And grace is what makes us part of the family. Faith is what gets us into the, the, the doorway of God's family. But that foundation, the rock, it is the word and obedience to that word. Now, that's the immediate context. If we look further in Luke, I want to show you how Jesus, we're going to focus on Jesus uh, 
changing outsiders into insiders. And I want to thank uh, this guy, Dane Ortland, his book, Surprised by Jesus. Someone gave it to me, and you know what the inscription said? Uh, someone gave me a book, and they wrote in there, To Your Inner Pharisee. I was, I was like, thank you very much. <laughs> How'd you know I had an inner Pharisee? Right? I'll call him Simon, yes. And he has a chapter on... Um, uh, three chapters on Luke and just piecing them together. It's phenomenal. And we can see all through Luke, Jesus, uh, the work of Jesus transforms outsiders to insiders. Begins in chapter two. The shepherds who are outsiders are the first to be inside uh, worshiping Jesus. The uh, Magi and Matthew are the same. We're going to run through this quickly. Luke three, the Pharisees are called a brood of vipers and they're outside of understanding who Jesus is, the lamb of God because of their self-righteousness. In Luke four, it's the poor, the widow, it's the powerful pagan general, Naaman. Uh, they're declared to be insiders and you'll remember how much the crowd actually hated that. They tried to kill Jesus. And again, in Luke six, he emphasizes this, uh, the inclusion of the poor and the Gentiles. In Luke 5, it's tax collectors. It's a tax collector named Levi. Uh, we see Zacchaeus again in chapter 19 and another tax collector in chapter 18. Social act outsiders are insiders by the grace of Jesus. Luke 7, you'll remember the sinful woman. We just talked about that. Faith gets us through the door of forgiveness and it keeps us in the house as we live there together. Luke 9, children are the paradigm for who is in. Simple faith is all it takes. And these children, that the disciples even when we're trying to push away our insiders. Luke 10, socially and despised Samaritans. The story of the good Samaritan, they're the ones that are examples of those who are saved by the Savior and who really love their neighbor. Luke 11, enemies like Nineveh are called friends of God. Luke 12, the rejection of the rich and the poor. And even in 16, you remember this in Luke, it's the rich man and Lazarus uh, who are looking up into, uh, the rich man's looking up into heaven um, and longing to, to even have what Lazarus has. Luke 13, uh, people from the east, the west, the north, and the south, and outsiders on the roads, the highways, and the byways are brought inside of the banquet of Jesus. Jesus 14 is the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. They're all insiders because of faith in Jesus. In 15, you'll remember the prodigal son who, came, who was welcomed home and the self-righteous who stood alone outside. You remember that? The self-righteous uh, were invited in and didn't come in. In Luke 17, it's lepers again. Uh, it's only the Samaritan leopard that came in Luke 20. Uh, just to round out the core of the gospel, the entire vineyard that is the inheritance of God for the people of God is given to Gentiles, outsiders outside this. So look, here's the deal. All through this, why do you bring this up? Every single example of this, of people who are outsiders who become insiders, who become family of God, none of them, zero, did it through their own self-effort, through their own self-resolve. Jesus changed everyone and everything. The work of Jesus the unconditional covenant love of God that's revealed to the person and work of Jesus, the Son of God, is what transforms a lonely heart into a welcomed heart, a hopeless heart into a whole heart, a sinful and outcast heart into a forgiven and redeemed and renewed heart. Paul uses the language of sonship all through his epistles, especially in Galatians 4, 1 to 5. And in Romans 8, we did some of these verses in our call to worship, verses 15 to 17. It's the spirit of God that's given to the children of God by which we cry out, Abba, Father, to God. Now, what does it look like in relationships to embrace this insider, outsider reality that Jesus makes us outs who feel like outsiders, insiders? I'll tell you real quick, I had a man this week, this happened to me. He gave me this big hug 
And he said, I love you. And he stepped back. He goes, is that weird to tell another grown man that I love you? And like any good pastor, I said, absolutely. Get out of my face. No, <laughs> no, not at all. It's normal for brothers to hug and say, we love each other. That's it. It feels abnormal because we don't do it enough. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers hug. Huh, Tommy boy? You didn't think I could work that one in, did you? But Jesus calls us to embrace this oneness in Christ. There's no distinction. Male or female, slave or free, barbarian or Scythian, Democrat, Republican. We're all one in Christ, rich or poor. That's Colossians 3.11, Galatians 3.28, and it's Jesus' prayer in John 17.20-23. So I admonish you and encourage you to allow the grace of God to embrace your heart where you, even when you feel like an outsider, you're welcomed in through the work of Jesus, the love of Jesus. And follow the Holy Spirit in your heart as his child in showing and sharing that love with other people. And the second thing we see, and this is the last thing, just two points today, is that insiders are family and outsiders are welcome. Now, we have to address kind of the elephant in the room here because Jesus, is he being dishonoring to his mom? Is he disregarding his family, his brothers and sisters? Is Jesus here saying that that family's not important? No, absolutely not. Uh, Jesus demonstrated a faithful commitment to his family. You'll remember when he hung on the cross in John chapter uh, 19, and he, he commands John to take care of his mom who had not left his side through everything. In fact, we know uh, that, that James wanted Jesus' brother. Yes, earlier in John 7, his brothers thought he was crazy. In Mark 3, 21, it says that his brothers tried to seize him because they thought he was out of his mind. But Jesus still loved them. He still walked with them. And and James, we know, his half-brother, was called in in Galatians 2 a pillar of the early church. And in fact, he wrote one of the epistles that's in the New Testament. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it it is Jesus' family, his mother and his brothers, who's worshiping, praying, and fasting in the upper room with the apostles. No, Jesus does not disregard family or say that family is important. He redefines a greater priority for family. The greater affection that that is the love of God that drives our life redefines our relationships. And the others who are inside, who are born again children of God, who have the spirit of God and hear the word of God and obey for the glory of God, these are our families. That can be unclean lepers, social outcast Samaritans, tax collectors, women of the city. They're all welcomed by God's grace. And we keep praying for even our family members who might be wayward. Now, we're doing our prayer and fasting this month. And last week on Thursday, we, we, all week we were praying for uh, families and, and relationships and restoration. And, and we had a praise report in our Thursday prayer time. All of you invited to our last one. We're feasting on Jesus and his mission, his work in our neighborhoods and among the nations in prayer this week. But somebody said, praise the Lord that one of my children who has been wayward, prodigal, has come home to the love of the Father. Uh, Can I say that again so we can celebrate together? A wayward child in our congregation has come home to the love of the Father. We praise God for that. Yes. And we keep praying. 
We keep walking with brothers and sisters. We keep praying for fathers and cousins. We, keep at, we want to walk with them. We don't disregard them. We hope that they'll come to know Jesus, but our primary affection is for Christ in the family of God, that primary community that he gives us that we call the church. And the father welcomes the self-righteous son as well as the prodigal home. And we keep walking with one another. Here's just some basic teaching from scripture that unpacks this. Enemies are reconciled and called family in Romans 5.10. All who receive Christ, anybody who receives Christ uh, are called children of God. Uh, We should marvel at the love, how great is the love of our father that we should be called children of God and it should be our MO in our life together, 1 John 3. We're no longer strangers or aliens, says Paul in Ephesians 2. We're members of the household of God. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, that that dearly loved children are called to walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us. This identity as children, it marks even our steps as we go through the life. Here's our life. Here's the bottom line. You and I need to take the gospel more serious. We need to take the love of Jesus in a defining way more serious. Uh, One of uh, my favorite stories to tell uh, is about Elizabeth Elliot and Jim Elliot. Are you familiar with them? They went down, graduates of Wheaton College, they went down to Ecuador uh, to try to reach an unreached tribe. And you might remember uh, the the, uh, Aka tribe is the first tribe that, that Jim Elliot and four other missionaries made friendly contact with. And they went back to make further contact. And Jim Elliott and the four other missionaries were speared to death. And that left Elizabeth Elliott, a widow with a 10-month-old daughter in Ecuador. And you know what she did? She allowed the definition of the mission of God, her being a child of God, to take priority and precedent for all of her decisions. She not only stayed in the area, but she had two of the Akua tribe members come live with her. And through that relationship, she reestablished contact with this tribe that had killed her husband and killed her friends. She eventually went and moved in with this tribe. And the very people that had speared her husband to death came to know Christ And she called them, redefined them, not as murderers of my husband, but brothers in Jesus. Because that's what the gospel does. It redefines relationship and all of us who are enemies of God become family of God, brothers and sisters in God. And we celebrate that reality as the people of God. So we have to look to Jesus, and Callan, y'all can come on up now, and allow our faith in him to fade our loneliness. Truly allow it to transform us to have an insider mentality individually so that we can celebrate that as his family. And we can live as family as the light the world longs to see. The world is longing for a community that is authentic. And the church is the answer to the heart cry and the hope of many. So let's embrace it and let's love as we've been loved in humility and grace and sacrifice, service and joy. It doesn't need to be a distant testimony that we tell from Ecuador from decades ago. 
This is an invitation and reality for all of us as God's people. If you need prayer today, if, you're, if you really feel like you want to respond to the Scruggs testimony uh, or just need prayer in knowing the love of Jesus, our prayer team is going to be up here on either side uh, all through these final songs. Uh, and so please feel free to come on up and let's pray together now. Lord, thank you for your amazing love and the redefining reality that the gospel gives us, that we move from slavery to sonship, that we are no longer enemies or aliens or strangers, but we're children, heirs of the house of God. We thank you that we have a family. Help us to have open hearts to celebrate the foundation of the household of faith, that we would hear the word and obey the word. I pray you'd overwhelm us and you'd renew us and restore us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.